It's time for the Horseshoes and Hand Grenades podcast with CNHI Sports Indiana's George Brimmer, your number one source for the latest Colts news, information, and discussion. It's time to kick things off. Hello, Colts fans, and welcome to the Horseshoes and Hand Grenades podcast. I'm your producer, Heather B., and I'm here with your host, CNHI Sports Indiana executive editor and Colts beat writer, George Brimmer. This week, we'll discuss last week's utter failure against the Jaguars, go one-on-one with wide receiver Kamar Aiken, and look ahead to the game with the Bengals. George, it's been an utterly brutal 10 days. Uh, It's really hard to imagine right now, but when the third quarter started in Tennessee a week ago on Monday night, the Colts were in position to move into a first-place tie in the AFC South, and everything from that point on has just been miserable for this football team. Obviously, the Titans came back, won that game by 14 points. The Colts come home. Well, they lose Robert Turbin for the season during that game to a wrist injury that also is apparently a shoulder injury, so that should tell you how bad that situation is. Uh, They get back home on Wednesday. They shut down Andrew Luck because there's soreness in his right shoulder, delaying his return. Uh, you get ready for the game against Jacksonville. You think maybe this is a ba- bounce back kind of an opportunity. You lose that game 27 to nothing. You give up 10 sacks, which is the most since 1980. You're shut out for the first time since 1993. Oh, and by the way, you lose your rookie safety Malik Cooker for the season. Uh, so, you know, in that, that span alone, you're talking about two starters two well, two key contributors to this team, two big division losses, and then T.Y. Hilton after the game makes matters worse by calling out the offensive line. And now there's, you know, some constant coverage of just how together is the locker room. And it's it's as big a mess as I can remember around this team. And I've been covering the team since around 2010. So, you know, I went through the 2011 season. But even that year, there was a sense of, well, if Peyton Manning was playing, this wouldn't be happening. And to some extent, there's no doubt that Andrew Luck's absence plays into all of this, but it it's almost chaos out there right now. And I don't know if you can say enough bad things about the performance against Jacksonville. Nothing worked really on either side of the ball. Uh, when the punter is your star, and Rigo Berto Sanchez was absolutely the star on that day, it tells you things are not really going in your favor. And... Uh, I think the really scary thing from the Colts standpoint right now is that you're you're entering a stretch of really tough football games uh, starting on Sunday at Cincinnati. But after that, you've got a trip down to Houston. The Texans are red hot right now with a rookie quarterback who's playing out of his mind. And, and then you're coming back home to play Pittsburgh before the bye week. So things are going really, really, really poorly right now for the Colts. And I think the season's in danger of, of spinning completely out of control. Even as it is right now at 2-5, and five, this is the worst start in Chuck Pagano's six seasons. It's the first time they've been un, three games under five hundred during his reign. And if they can't find a way to win in Cincinnati on Sunday, it's going to be the first time that they've lost three consecutive games with him as the head coach. So uh, not much going the Colts' way right now. And as if the loss wasn't embarrassing enough, wasn't bad enough, and the Nashville game wasn't embarrassing enough, wasn't bad enough. The Colts have lost some really key players to injury all over the roster, including my guy, John Simon. Yeah, we we talked about Turbin and Hooker, and they're done for the year. But 
John S- Simon suffered what they're calling a stinger injury against the Jaguars, and he was really banged up and in and out of the game against Tennessee. I was going to say, yeah, I think he actually may have suffered that in, in Nashville. He walked off the field um, with his arm kind of hanging kind of limply at his side, and that's what I th- initially thought uh, he had gone to the sideline for. Yeah, so, you know, he, he's out uh, probably at least on Sunday – uh, those things, stingers, you never know. They can be done in a week. They can take a month or more to heal. Uh, we'll really just have to see what's happening there. But obviously, he's a guy who is one of the top three players on that defense, if not the best player the defense has had this season. And uh, his availability is unknown. He's going to be a tough guy to replace. It looks like Barkevius Mingo will probably get the majority of those snaps, but they really need Terrell Basham, the third-round pick, who hasn't been able to to really get on the field so far, hasn't really been able to live up to the potential they saw in him. They really need him to mature quickly and, and be able to to bring some things to the table now because obviously with John Simon gone, that's a really big loss. And, and like I said, that's at least a week. We'll see more on that. Uh, Ryan Kelly left the game in the second half. They're calling that a knee injury. There's also a pelvis component to it, apparently, according to the injury report, which is never a good thing to see. Uh, they thought that he would be back at practice Wednesday. That didn't happen. They're hoping he'll be back at practice Thursday, but another not-so-good sign. They claimed Dylan Day, a center from the Broncos, off of waivers Thursday, and that always makes you wonder. And we've been down that road with Ryan Kelly before. He got hurt in the preseason, obviously, and the initial prognosis was, hey, this may not be as bad as we think. He may be back faster than we expect. And then the next thing you know, it didn't work out that way. He had to go in for surgery, and, and he wasn't back until last week or two weeks ago, and he's barely back any time at all. And now, uh, you know, that that's just another major blow to that offensive line, which obviously struggled against Jacksonville and is going to have their hands full again on Sunday against Cincinnati. And then there's a situation with Rashawn Melvin, who left the game against uh, the Jaguars with a concussion. And he's still in the protocol. He didn't practice Wednesday. That's never a good sign for Sunday availability. So you could be down at cornerback as well. That's some pretty major defensive pieces that that could not be on the field on Sunday. Uh, And obviously a major piece of the offensive line. And, And like we said in the opening, not a lot of things breaking the Colts' way right now. They could really use some kind of good news, some kind of good luck to to raise the fortunes a little bit right now because uh, it's a dark time over there, and it just seems like every day brings news that's a little more disappointing. Well, I think one of the things that could have happened that would have made fans feel better, at least, has not yet happened. If you would have told me that we would be sitting here after Sunday's game recording this podcast and that Chuck Pagano would still be the head coach of the Colts, I would have told you were a fool. After that performance, I was positive that Ursay could not stand by that. The fans were irate. You could tell the players weren't playing, but he still got a job. Are you as surprised as I am that Ursay hasn't pulled the trigger yet or that Ballard hasn't demanded that Chuck is gone? Uh, yes and no. I mean, the fact of the matter is they, they've had chances the past two years in January to make a decision one way or another, uh, re-signed him in, in after the 2015 season to, I believe, a four-year deal, and then last year brought him back despite firing the general manager in, in Ryan Grigson. So it's not completely a, a shock that he that he's still around. I did think that Sunday's performance was very alarming. I don't think anybody really denies that, and there certainly were rumors 
swirling after that game about what might be the potential future for the head coach. Uh, and, and the temperature has really ramped up even as the week's gone on. The fan base has made it very clear that they're unhappy. They, they left the game really starting in the second quarter uh, in large numbers. By the end of the game, it looked more like a high school football finals or something like that in Lucas Oil Stadium. There were so many empty seats. Uh, it, it was really quite a sight to behold in, in some ways, but I think this has always been an evaluation season. And I think if you go back and, and you look at the way that Chris Ballard talked about this team in the spring and in the summer, and even the way that Jim Irsay talked about this team in the spring and in the summer, uh, the word patience was used a lot. I think that they were aware that there could be struggles. I think the fact that Andrew Luck has not played has exasperated some of that. And I think that, that that's also not a surprise to them. So I think as much as the reaction from the outside might be utter anger and despair, I think the reaction on the inside is a little bit more controlled right now. And I think that's part of why Chuck Pagano is still here. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out the rest of the season. I think the most disturbing things about that game, besides the performance itself, I and mean, anytime you get shut out at home, no one's going to be happy about it. The team looked pretty listless. I think that's a problem. A lot of people realize that. That needs to turn around in a hurry. And then what happened with T.Y. Hilton? Because that's really the first time we've seen a lot of things happen. All the way back to, to Chuck Pagano's leukemia diagnosis, which is the most serious thing I've ever seen around a football team in 2012. We've seen a lot of things happen to and with this football team. But the one thing that really has never gone on is finger pointing publicly within the locker room, the fact that T.Y. comfortable enough to do that. And I know there's a lot of factors that play into that. There was frustration. People are all over the place were angry after that game. He's no different than anybody else in that manner. But the fact that he felt comfortable enough to come out and publicly rip into his offensive line, and again, nobody's defending the offensive line's play. There's no doubt that they struggled as well. But so did the wide receivers. So did the quarterback. So did everybody whose name basically isn't Rigoberto Sanchez. On Sunday, so or Adam Vinatieri. Adam Vinatieri didn't play, so he didn't do anything wrong. Uh, but it, it's absolutely a frustrating situation. I understand that, but no good comes from pointing fingers at your teammates. And the fact that that's happening, it hints that maybe the locker room's not together in a way that it was in the past. And and you have to wonder a little bit. The vast majority of these players of this 53-man roster have not been here before this season. These are not quote-unquote Chuck Pagano guys. You had guys like Dequell Jackson in this locker room in the past, Mike Adams, guys he helped bring in here, guys who I think had his back 100%. You wonder where that leadership is now, who's going to step forward and fill those kind of roles. And you know some of that falls on the coaching staff to not really have, have gotten that developed to this point. It is disturbing it is alarming it's a trend that we've seen very early in the season I think it's easy to forget with everything that's happened all the injuries the roller coaster that this team's been on already the season's less than halfway over it's only Sunday that it's going to reach the midway point so uh yeah there's still a lot to be written on this season there's still a lot of football yet to be played and I think that's part of why Chuck Pagano is still on board but there are warning signs there are alarms going off everywhere well, I'm sure we will talk more about chucking Chuck uh, later in the Pony Express segment. So we'll move on, and when we come back, George will go one-on-one -on -one with Colts wide receiver Kamar Aiken. It's time to go inside the locker room with CNHI Sports Indiana's George Bremer. 
Okay, we, we know we've kind of had a dark cloud over the opening segment of the of the, say, the show today, and it's hard not to. I mean, it, people on the team will tell you how disappointed they are right now. Uh, everybody really over on West 56th Street there in Indianapolis is unhappy with the way things have gone and in the way things are going. But we tried something new this week on Inside the Locker Room, and one of our goals with this podcast from the very beginning is to kind of give you a different angle, a different look at some of the players, give a little bit of their personality, show you something that you haven't seen or heard from them before. And so this week with Kamar Aiken, we're doing that with something that's very personal to us. Uh, I think most people out there who follow me on Twitter understand that we've recently become certified as, as foster parents, uh, that that's something that that's very near and dear to our heart and that we are working on uh, extending our family and, and kind of trying to take care of some kids in need. And, and that's something that Kamar Aiken is also very aware of. Uh, he was a foster child for some time himself as a youngster, along with his siblings. And he has a camp, a football camp, every year down in his hometown in, in Miami, uh, specifically geared towards underprivileged kids and specifically geared towards foster children. So I talked with him a little bit about that, and I think you'll enjoy this interview. How did, how did the idea come about? How did, how did you first decide that, that this is something you wanted to do? Uh, as a child, I, I kind of went through the system as being in the foster care. I uh, had some stuff happen uh, when I was younger to our family. Um, so me and my brothers and sisters, uh, we went into the foster care. So I kind of know what those kids go through and the, the, how the system is for them. Did your brothers and sisters get split up or were you able to, to be all together? They tried to split us up, uh, but we basically told them that we'll run away every time or we'll find each other the way. So they, they kind of kept us together. Um, and then it just so happened that everything happened that we was able to go back home. So we didn't have to stand it too long, have to deal with it too long, but I was a, I, I had my good part in it. I know there's, you know, for, for my wife and I, we just recently became certified, and you start to find out how many of these cases are out there, how many stories are out there. Do you think that's something that, that a lot of people don't understand, like how prevalent these issues are? Uh, definitely, but uh, I feel like that's with any situation. If it's not something that affects you or in any way in, in your life and in your bubble, then you're pretty much not going to pay attention to it. For me, it's different because it, it's it's a part of me. It's, it's kind of who I am today. Uh, it made me who I am today, uh, going through that stuff early, so... Uh, I embrace it. About how many kids do you get each year at the camp? Uh, last year we had 70 plus, and then it's usually around 50 or 70. How do, how, what kind of things do you work on? How do you try to, to integrate both the football and, and the off-field stuff into the camp? Uh, Football-wise, it's just uh, technique stuff, just the normal stuff that those kids don't get opportunities that some kids get that's with their parents. Uh, so just giving them that opportunity just – to be able to go out there, run around, learn from some good people, and then at the same time meet some pros at the same time that they, they usually don't get the opportunity to do. And then just tell them how important it is, like in the classroom. Um, they're not – kids in foster care don't really get that encouragement from, from the outside world as far as uh, you do this, do that, you'll be successful. They, they're more hearing all the negative stuff. So I try to give them a little more positive – influence and just help them in that way do you get really good feedback from people on it do, do you hear stories of the kids and, and success that they have after the after the camp uh, i definitely do uh, parents usually uh email us and tell us how much the the camp meant to their kid and they can see a difference uh so if we if we get one kid to to change or one kid to change his mindset to say well my situation is not going to dictate who i am then this is successful it's successful for me a personal standpoint, how, how does that feel and how much of a accomplishment is when you hear those stories and, and see the impact that you can make? Um, it feels great, to be honest. It feels like you're really out there doing something. It actually feels better than coming out here and playing football, to be honest. It feels like you really have a purpose and you're really doing something. 
How long has the camp been going on? Uh, I've been doing it since 2012. And no end in sight, I imagine? No what? No end in sight, I imagine. Right now. And uh, I'm going to try to do it as long as I can. I might change stuff up uh, as far as the camp, camp part of it, but I'm going to keep trying to build it and make it bigger and bigger. Thanks to Kamar Aiken for joining us for Horseshoes and Hand Grenades. As a foster parent, uh, it's so wonderful to see somebody who knows what these kids are going through, giving back and giving them something to smile about. Because so many of these kids have lives that most of us can't even imagine. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we've only seen a fraction of, of these stories. And as Kamar said in the interview, if it's something that, that doesn't directly affect you, you know, a lot of times it, it doesn't really ring true with you or, or impact your life. And uh, for us, you know, to have our eyes open coming into this this situation, uh, there's so many kids out there with such just terrible stories who, who need so much help. And uh, it's great to see somebody using a position like a, a wide receiver in the NFL uh, to give back what he can and to help out those kids in any way possible. Well, shifting back to football, we've got a few other sound bites to share with you this week. Uh, first, we'll feature T.Y. Hilton and his apology to the offensive line. Hey, uh, first and foremost, uh, I'd like to apologize to the team and the old line. You know, it was out of character, frustrated, you know, how the game went. But at the end of the day, man, I got it back, you know. I love them to death. And, you know, I was wrong, you know. Um, I'm always against that, and then I go out there and do it. So, 100%, I messed up, you know, all of me. Um, and I'm sorry for that. And, you know, I'm a leader. And, you know, those guys look up to me, and I kind of stabbed them in the back. So, for me, um, uh, I'm very sorry about that, and, you know, I, I approached them individually one-on-one, -on -one and, you know, just let them know that, you know, I was 100% dead as wrong, so. Yeah, you know, this story we felt like was probably over right there on Monday when T.Y. came out and gave the apology. It's still kind of simmering a little bit because uh, Anthony Costanzo came out Tuesday and said he hadn't yet gotten that personal apology, and I know that... Uh, T.Y. still hadn't, he admitted on Wednesday, he still hadn't made his way around all the offensive linemen. So I'm sure that's going to happen eventually. And, and that part of the situation is over. But like I said, it's kind of a window into a lot of other problems right now with this team. And it's one of the many things that they need to fix. This one's a self-inflicted wound and those tend to be the worst kind. Up next, let's hear from Jacoby Brissett on dealing with the beatings he's been taking lately. I mean, it's football. Uh, you're expected to get hit. Uh, Not that many know. times, though. I mean, running back to do it, you know. Um, you know, I mean, just I can do a better job of not taking those hits. You know, it's not it's not our offensive line fault, you know. It's, it's, it's the game, you know. So when you, everybody's had those days. A 23-year-old quarterback, very interesting there because he, he kind of did the opposite of what T.Y. Hilton had done on Sunday. And he said, look. I could blame a lot of things, but it starts with me. And I think that's an interesting – it shows you the leadership you're getting from him, which is absolutely essential as a quarterback. His play of late has not been great. He'll be the first to admit that. He needs to pick things up. That offense needs to pick things up as a whole. But I think the way forward is the way that Jacoby Brissett's taken, and that's to look in the mirror and say, what can I do to make things better and not to look outside and, and, and try to find out what others can do to help. And finally, here's Clayton Gathers on how difficult the road back to the practice field has been for him. Uh, it's, it's been tough, you know, um, me dealing with what I'm dealing with, um, not trying to, you know, clutter my teammates with it and things like that, and, and just watching from afar, um, you know, putting my two cents here and there when I can. Um, it, it's been tough, but it's, it's been a journey that I need to go through. 
With gathers that that injury is so serious. When you hear herniated disc in your neck, you're always worried. He is very optimistic. He is certain he will play again this year. And uh, these are the first steps back to the field. It's not going to happen before the bye week. We know that. So the earliest you'd see him again would be November 26th at home against Tennessee. But uh, that's a kid right now that's really easy to root for because of everything he's been through. Uh, You'd love to see him make it back to the field and, and be able to make an impact in the last month or so of this season. That wraps up Inside the Locker Room for this week. Next up, we'll take a ride on the Pony Express. Delivering answers to all of your burning questions about the Colts and the NFL, it's the Pony Express. This is the mailbag segment of our show where George answers your burning Colts questions. Up first, we have at RV Holler one wants to know what happened last Sunday. Yeah, I don't know if we have enough time to answer this question. Uh, everything went wrong, you know, first and foremost. But I feel like the biggest answer, and we kind of touched on it in the opening, the biggest scary thing is that there seemed to be an emotional carryover, hangover, if you will, from Monday night. That game, the Colts went in with so much optimism, as we talked about in the opening, a chance to win that game, move into a three-way tie for first in the AFC South. You squander the lead again in the fourth quarter. You lose by 14 points. It was a tough emotional loss it ended an 11 game winning streak against Tennessee there were a lot of things going against them there and then the week as we talked about played out in in bad fashion the rest of the way uh, with the news about Andrew Luck being delayed and losing Robert Turbin for the season and it just seemed like the team never really was able to put that all behind them and come out and focus on Jacksonville and that's why Sunday's game against Cincinnati is so important I think uh, for Chuck Pagano because he, he said afterwards, I didn't have him prepared. I know a lot of fans are tired of hearing that. They feel like they've heard that for six years. Uh, but I think that this Cincinnati game, you need to see that this team can kind of get out from under this this dark cloud and, and start moving forward again. It didn't happen last week. It absolutely has to happen down in Cincinnati on Sunday. At Ross Smith SHI says, will we see Quincy Wilson be active and play this week? Yeah, you know, we talked about Rashawn Melvin when we were talking about the injuries and he's got a concussion. It looks like he won't play on Sunday. So that right there makes a good chance that you're going to see Quincy Wilson up and maybe even starting again for the first time since week two. The other thing that happened is they gave Vontae Davis a rest day on on Wednesday, which uh, there was no injury on the report, so he's likely okay, but it's just something to keep your eye on what's going on there. And both of those factors make it likely that Quincy Wilson will be up. I think he did a lot of things against Arizona in week two that really got people excited. They want to see more from this kid, and uh, that should happen Sunday. But the way things have gone around Indianapolis for the past couple of weeks, Nothing is guaranteed. So I, right now I'm optimistic that you'll see Quincy Wilson on Sunday, but we'll see the way 2017 is gone. At Steve Schindler has this to say this week. I think it's fair to say the 2017 draft was a Grigsonian bust and the free agents signings were meh. So has Ballard lived up to the hype? That's an interesting take. And I would love to hear from the rest of the, the listeners out there and the rest of the Colts fans on, on what their feelings are. But I kind of don't agree with that. I don't think it is fair to say it was a Gricksonian bust. There's a lot of health things that have gone on with this draft class that make you wonder, and it's hard to really gauge. But as we talked about before, you're only halfway through the season, so not even quite halfway through the season. So it's it's a tough time to really be grading the entire class. But I think 
generally speaking, what you need is to find two to three impact guys, two to three starters from each draft. That's the goal across the league. That's what a good draft is. This isn't going to go down right now as a Hall of Fame draft, as some kind of wonderful uh, talked about for the next decade class. But you do have Malik Hooker, who before his injury showed that he's a star in the making. I think most people would agree that that, that is a kid with a really, really bright future. Nate Harrison is, is a fifth-round pick who's already a starter, has far outplayed his draft position, looks like he's a building block for the future. Marlon Mack has shown a lot of things that got a lot of people excited. He's a building block, a potential starter down the road for the future. Quincy Wilson, now that he's healthy, we'll see if he can get out there and get some playing time. He's a potential building block for the future. And even a guy like Grover Stewart, he had a big play late in the game against Jacksonville. He's a guy with a lot of potential. Down the road could be a a building block for this team as well. I don't think this has been a bad draft at all. Like I said, I don't think it's a Hall of Fame draft, but I don't think it's been a bad draft at all. It's been a nice first step in the foundation. And the same goes for the free agents. John Simon, heck of a free agent signing. Jabal Sheard has played very well for this team. And two guys on the defensive line, Jonathan Hankins and Al Woods, have been lights out for this team. Again, not that maybe major signing that that's a game changer that, that really everyone around the league's talking about, but good, solid moves. I think Chris Ballard in the first year has laid a nice foundation for things to come. This is going to be a slow process, and I think that's one thing fans have to understand. This is not an overnight thing. They tried that before in 2012. It didn't work. They fell on their face. They really want to make sure that they're building this the right way this time, and it's going to be small steps like this. You're not going to see a lot of big splash uh, additions. Now, right now, they have the fourth pick in the draft, so if that holds up, that would be a big splash, Uh, but I think Chris Ballard has, has lived up to the hype. And I think he's going to continue to point this team in the right direction as uh, as his tenure here goes on. I'm going to combine the next two questions at Bryce underscore Dan Shard and at Mason McQuaige. Both have uh, questions about tanking the season. Uh, Mason wants to know, does it make the most sense to tank right now with a lame duck coach, no defense to speak of, all the injuries and a bad O-line? Um, and Bryce was wondering about possibly tanking for a third to fifth pick or trading Brissett for another first rounder. Uh, which, like I said, they have the fourth one right now. Tanking is not something that's going to happen with this team. For one thing, you've got a head coach who is still fighting for his job. I think the writing's on the wall there in many ways. I think he realizes that too, but you've got a whole coaching staff there with a lot of pride who are either trying to convince this owner or another owner that they deserve to work somewhere next year. They're not going to tank. The players are in the same boat. A lot of these guys are on one-year deals. They're not going to throw in the towel on the season right now. That being said, there are a lot of issues. We talked about them at the offset. A lot of injuries. A lot of coaching decisions that, that have you scratching your head. A lot of poor performance out there as a whole. And it may not take a tank. This team right now is, is got its backs against the wall and... As we talked about in the opening, there's a dark cloud kind of hanging over this franchise at the present. All that they're thinking about is finding a way out of there. I don't think tanking is even part of the equation. At A underscore Merrill 12 says, with good coming back, does Haig move back inside to his better position of guard? If so, does he replace Clark or Vinovich? That's a really good question. It's important, first of all, to realize that, that Denzel Good's still about two weeks away 
from actually getting into game action. He, he went back into practice this week on a limited basis, which is one of the few bright spots uh, coming out of that franchise right now. Denzel Good had an outstanding performance in week one. Pro Football Focus had him as the number one guy on the offensive line. I think there's a lot of people excited about his return, and I think that Joe Haig most likely will move back inside when Denzel Good comes back. Uh, my guess would be he would take LaRaven Clark's spot just because Vunovich has been over in his role for a little bit longer. But I think there's going to be another shakeup on the line when Good comes in, and it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. At CWOW1 says, do the Colts have to be mathematically eliminated from the playoffs before Pagano would be dismissed? Yeah, this is another interesting question, another good one. The timing of Chuck Pagano's dismissal is going to be very interesting. I think a lot of people were expecting it this week. I think the performance was such that it it made you wonder, uh, as we talked about at the opener. Uh, I don't know when it comes down. I I have a feeling, as, as most people around the franchise do, that sort of the haze in the barn and, and that it definitely stacked against him coming back and being this coach in 2018. But at what point between now and January you see that happen, I think a lot of it depends on what we were just talking about at the, the beginning of the segment, and that is how much emotion and how much life there is in this football team. If the locker room continues to show signs of splintering and the on-field performance remains flat, you may see it happen sooner if they can get together and put together some good performances and and look like they're sticking together as a locker room, then that may buy them some more time. But we'll see how that plays out over the next few weeks. At TDD903 says, once luck dresses or starts a game, will the Colts release Tolzien? They could always activate Walker to be developmental or the third quarterback. Yeah, that's something that we've been wondering about for most of the fall, really, since Tolzien got benched for Jacoby Brissett in week two, and obviously putting the cart way ahead of the horse right now uh, as we wait to see when and if Andrew Luck will be healthy enough to come back this season. Uh, but the Colts continue to say that that's the plan and that nothing has changed, so it's something you kind of have to kind of put in the, in the bank as a possibility down the road. And I think that that's a likely move. They're unlikely to continue carrying three quarterbacks on the 53-man roster. But I don't think this is going to be as simple as Luck starts one week and Tolzien gets cut that Wednesday or or what have you. I think they're going to have to make sure first that he's healthy, that he's going to be here for you know the long haul for the rest of the season before they can make a move like that. It's certainly something that's on the table, and it's certainly something that would not surprise me, especially with so many injuries elsewhere. They get Andrew Luck back, and I really think that's why in the next couple of weeks they're probably going to have to make a decision on Andrew Luck. Do you want to continue to to chase down this road? Does it look like he's back on track and he's going to be able to play this year, or do you need to shut him down on IR because with the injuries in the defensive secondary, the injuries on the offensive line, getting that roster spot back that's being taken up by a third quarterback right now one way or another is probably going to be pretty important over the next couple of weeks. And our final question comes from at Day Blue Man. Do you feel the coaching failures are tactical or technique based? I.e., are players not performing or are they being put into bad schemes? You know, with all the followers and all the listeners, I feel like like you do with your children. You never have a favorite. You can't really pick one. Uh, but this guy has great questions every week. And so you really have to take your hat off to that. Uh, I honestly think that it's more tactical right now at this point. There definitely has been performance issues. There's definitely been miscommunications. There's definitely been just 
bad physical errors out there that have, that have played into it. But you see these things happen really so much, especially in the last two years, but uh, really in the last three or four. And it, uh, a lot of that has to go back onto the coaching staff. I think there are times when they're simply not in the right position or where the scheme is just not what it should be for that week. And uh, yeah, so I would, I would go towards the tactical side on this answer. That's it for Pony Express for the week. When we come back, we'll wrap up the show with horseshoes and hand grenades. Horseshoes and hand grenades, ranking this week's Colts news. Actually, this week the show is going to be mostly hand grenades uh, because there is a whole, not a whole lot going on right now for the Colts to be optimistic about or that's going in their Colts flavor. Uh, I so, feel like we're Eeyore this week. I mean, I don't really want <laughs> to be that way, but you know, I feel like there's just been so much going on and it's hard to really get away from it. It, it is. So let's start with this first hand grenade and that's the offensive line struggles. Yeah. Uh, you know, the fact of the matter is there was some truth to what T.Y. Hilton said. And I don't think anybody really questioned that. It was the, the way he delivered the message and the timing in which in the platform that he used to deliver that message that really was the question. Uh, if Ryan Kelly misses some significant time, and again, right now he's not been ruled out even for Sunday, but who knows, especially the way this season's gone, that's going to be another big blow to this line. And uh, this is a line that's already lost Kelly for some time this year. It lost Jack Newhart. It's not the best situation that they've been in. They lost Denzel Good after after week one. And this is a Cincinnati defensive front that is very similar in what they do and how they line up physically to what Jacksonville is able to do. So it's going to be another really big test for this offensive line uh, coming off a game in which they gave up 10 sacks. So, yeah, that's a major issue heading into Sunday's game. And another hand grenade tossed for defensive injuries. We talked about that as well. Right now you're looking at no John Simon, probably no Rashawn Melvin on Sunday. We don't know when they'll be back. No Malik Hooker the rest of the year. That's a big blow to a defense that already has been struggling at times on its own. Uh, they still can't really find a, a consistent pass rush. That's leading to breakdowns in the secondary. There's already young guys back there anyway, and that may get even younger, uh, depending on who some of the replacements are that, that come in now. A lot of things going on uh, on a defense that, that could really use a strong performance after really laying an egg along with the rest of the team on Sunday against the Jaguars. So, uh, another area of concern is how this defense is going to react uh, with a lot of guys out really just not healthy at this time. And another hand grenade for the stalling offense. Yeah, it's been about six quarters since we've seen the offense do anything. You go back to that Tennessee game and, and the lone touchdown in the second half of that game was an interception return by John Simon. Other than that, they got a field goal and that was that. On Sunday against Jacksonville, here's how bad it was. One trip into the red zone the entire game they weren't really even in field goal position at any point the rest of that game uh, they did have a, a chance late where they maybe could have tried a, a 50 some yarder but right decision to go for it on fourth down there not just kick the field goal just to put some points on the board but uh, the offense really literally wasn't able to do anything against the Jaguars and it was pretty much the same in the second half at Tennessee so they need to see some life there there's a lot of things that are that are factoring into that uh, Jacoby Brissett's play slipped a little bit the offensive line obviously has had its troubles the receivers have not been on their games it, there's a lot of things that need to pick up and it needs to happen quickly because that offense right now has almost no life at all 
And George has decided he does not want to be Eeyore, so we are going to give one horseshoe this week, and that's to the defense still forcing turnovers. Hey, you know what? Through all of this, and this is maybe the most remarkable stat of a crazy Sunday, they won the turnover battle. Two to nothing, which how often do you get two takeaways and don't turn the ball over and lose by 27 points at home? So it kind of lets you know how bad things are going overall, but they were able to force a couple of fumbles in that game and recover them. Uh, that's, I guess, the one positive as you go in, move forward to Cincinnati. It's something that the Bengals have struggled with a little bit as well, turning that ball over. And it's one thing that can give a little life to the team. It didn't happen on Sunday for whatever reason. The hope is this week they can force a couple turnovers and they can get some kind of jump from that. And the last one will be a horse grenade in that we don't know which way it's going to fall. And that's Cincinnati's own struggles. Yeah, the Bengals come in here two and four. They're in a situation where Andy Dalton mistakenly threw the ball away on fourth down last year, or last week. Uh, things are not going their way very much either. So you wonder, is this misery loves company and you get a good performance from the Colts facing a Bengals team that's in very much the same kind of situation they are right now? Or is this a game for Cincinnati to get healthy and they're going to come out, take advantage of some of the problems the Colts have and, and leave after that game Sunday at 1 p.m. feeling a little bit better about themselves? George, taking in last week's horrific loss and all of these hand grenades, is there any hope for a win on Sunday? It's the NFL, so there's always hope. I mean, you see crazy things happen much crazier than this would be every week. Uh, but it there's a reason why this podcast has been so negative this week, and, and that's really just a reflection of what's going on over there. I think there's there's a lot going against the Colts right now, and it seems like every day something else gets thrown onto that pile. So right now... Uh, it's hard to really see them breaking out of this funk. I know they need to because two and six looks even worse, obviously, than two and five. And if it's another lifeless performance, uh, the noise and, and the the chatter around this team is only going to get louder. So they need to find a way to get things together. It is obviously a beatable opponent, and in the fact that Cincinnati has struggled as well. Uh, but right now, honestly, I I have to pick the Bengals. We'll see on Sunday. I'm sure Colts fans are hoping for a win, but I don't know if they can believe in one right now. So that's it for Horseshoes and Hand Grenades this week. Thanks again to Kamar Aiken for joining us and for everything he is doing for those foster kids. Look for next week's podcast on your local CNHI Sports Indian website, iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. If you subscribe on iTunes, please give us a star rating so we know how we're doing. As always, you can get live in-game analysis and news by following George on Twitter at GM Brimmer. Until next time, remember the immortal words of Ted Theodore Logan and Bill S. Preston Esquire, and be excellent to each other. You've been listening to the Horseshoes and Hand Grenades podcast with CNHI Sports Indiana's George Brimmer. For more Colts news and information, follow George on Twitter at GM Bremer. And join us next time for more of the Horseshoes and Hand Grenades podcast.